I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast, the hottest aptly named podcast out there. Correct? Uh, awesome word. Yeah, it's like you you took the blurb, my my recommendation for this podcast, and just read it word for word. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's the way I work, man. If you can steal somebody else's work, <laughs> why not do it? You know. Plus, you know, the 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 beginning of this podcast I know has turned into a perpetual pat myself on the back that I'm actually back for another week. But uh, you know, we've been doing this now for almost two years, and I've totally enjoyed it. Same thing today, man. Uh, this this week. This week's version, I've got one of my favorite people of all time. I say that every time I have somebody on. Well, but this you, guy I definitely mean, you is. Love, hey, you love people, and there's nothing wrong with that. I know, but I like, you know, I've, I mean, I've, I just think about it a lot. I've been blessed, man. I've run into a lot of quality folks, man, uh, being a sports writer all those years and stuff. And guys, man, you just really, you see them grow up. You know, Like I've always said, if I had 10 bucks for everybody I knew, as a as a football player or a race car driver or somebody who ended up making millions, I'd have millions, <laughs> you know. But some of these are really quality people. And uh, Kirk Herbstreit, I definitely count in that group. And I've got him on uh, this week's podcast talking about the book he's going to have coming out later this year that uh, was co-written. Pretty much Gene Wojciechowski did most of the legwork, I'm sure, the the typing work on it. But yeah. with Gene Wojciechowski, but it's an it's a look into Kirk Herbstreit's, uh, you know, growing up, uh, you know the the, the the pats on the back you get sometimes, but also the the pangs of 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 becoming a success, and then how much family is important to you, etc. You know, and I haven't read the book yet, I haven't gotten a copy of it, but I got the gist of it. But he and I started talking, and of course, you know, like I said, if you put me and Kirk and you in a in a uh, radio show, uh, it would have to be a three hour radio show every day because you and I and Kirk would each spend. 30 about about third a third of the first hour giving our first initial point right i'm not sure that there would even be room for me if you yeah. two are on there like i'm barely going to squeeze into this week's show well maybe we could promo the second hour with it coming up in hour <laughs> two uh, awesome ward makes his point after, after i've discuss. soaked in everything that you two had to say yeah, but we we boy we got into like present day football, uh, you know where the NIL is going, national, you know the name, image, and likeness, uh, the one time transfer portal situation that's coming. I'm mean, even though it's kind of what they've got already, you know, when you think about it. But uh, just how it's kind of changed the whole, you know, hootenanny of uh, of major college football. But uh, you know, before that, I wanted to touch base with you and uh, anything going on with the high state beat that's uh, was interesting to you over the past week. It's kind of for kind of like uh, roll into this week that you've got your eye on. Been pretty quiet. I'd say for the most part, yeah. Tim, I mean, I, I think that uh, you see what's happening with some ticket sales um, for the NCAA basketball tournament, the big 10 basketball tournament. Maybe uh, we'll see what that means for uh, potentially the spring game. I know it, you know, initially, the last time I had talked to Gene and Gene Smith, it didn't sound like that was really going to be an option. But uh, now you look at the state guidelines having changed in Ohio, uh, yep. you know, the governor starting to, you know, 
I've got tickets to go see the Blue Jackets this week. I didn't think that was going to happen this year either. So, um, you know, that stuff, maybe we'll see what, what happens uh, now that that date has been set there in late April uh, for the Buckeyes. I, I don't want to get anyone's hopes, you know, too far up. There are complications that would come from trying to turn this around on short notice. It, it's it's not as easy as it might seem when, Correct. Uh, when Ohio State, you know, hadn't been planning on the spring game having tickets. What would you – what would you charge the way that they normally do it? Um, basically, you know, anybody can come. It's not it's not a huge money-making opportunity for them. Um, maybe they would want it to be in this case if, the, if there was huge demand. So how would you manage that? It would sell out in probably two seconds if you charge five bucks or 15 bucks um, the way they have in, in some instances in the past. Dude, let me interrupt you. They could <laughs> – they could use the proceeds to make up for some of the shortfall from this past year. Cause you know, this, you know, they're not going to open it up to a hundred thousand people, no. but if they did, it would be a hundred thousand people there. I do believe there there's that much fervor. I think champing at the bit of people wanting to see some semblance of Ohio state football live. You get that feeling too, don't you? Yeah. And that's why I think like, that's what's interesting about it. And they're always sensitive to this. When we just talked about the season ticket policy a week ago, like, they don't want to make it – they certainly don't want to make it seem like a money grab or take advantage of, of fans who've been waiting a long time. But there are also difficult balancing acts if you would only have fifteen or 20,000 people in the horseshoe. Uh, you know, are all those going to be open to the public? How would you manage the secondary market, which I think would probably explode for a spring game, which sounds crazy, probably yeah. to another program in the country, but would definitely be the case here, I think. Yeah. For Ohio State, uh, some nice weather and a quarterback battle and uh, the fact that the shoe was empty all of last year. But, I, I, you know, I think that that's, that's sort of one of the things to keep watching here. Um, you know, Ohio State's uh, – I think that there might be some, you know, firming up of plans with, with Oregon and trying to find a second date. You know, so it's really – it's scheduling yeah. stuff. It's ticketing stuff, I think, right now. Just trying to get through all this and, and – and for some spring ball to start a week from Friday, we can talk about that. So stuff that I think is – there's not a bunch of, like, immediacy going on right now, but I, I think that's good because we're getting back to some sense of normalcy a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was – you and I, you know, we're doing this podcast throughout the pandemic, et cetera, and I remember last spring I pointed out to folks, you know, this this hole that was uh, – that's been poured into every major college – every major college athletic department's uh, finances – uh, over the last year is probably is never going to be totally refilled. You know, it's, it's basically, and a lot of people have done a lot of trimming since then, but uh, there will be ways for them to make up some of the difference. Cause you know, you eventually uh, it is uh, uh, an athletic department. is like a race car. You know, uh, a lot of people think a race car runs on gasoline. It runs on greenbacks. It runs on American dollars. And, uh, or if you're in Europe, you know, whatever that is, the Euro, but the same thing with an athletic department, it runs on money. And, uh, we can debate the merits of this, that, and the other, and whether you're getting ripped off or whatever, you know, if the market's there, you know, it behooves you for the most part to take, to take advantage of it. And I think Ohio state, you know, in my opinion, they've been late to this party, you know, uh, only if you agree or not. And we touched on that last week in last week's podcast. Uh, they included a conversation with Jim Lachey. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I just uh, – this was – if they could have gotten the act together to have a spring game this year, they, they could have made a lot of – made up a lot of difference. But, hey, we'll talk about that later. Uh, yeah. I want to get into my conversation with Kirk and then come back. And uh, it's kind of a long conversation, but I think it's very interesting. 
and then come back and you and I touch on a couple other subjects. You can stick around, right? I'm not going anywhere. Well, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, my conversation with Kirk Kerbstreet. And as promised, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcoming Kirk Kerbstreet back to the Tim May podcast. How you doing, Kirk? I'm doing good, bud. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I talked to you a couple of times last year. Appreciate you coming on my podcast. Any chance you get, any chance I get to have you on, you're always, well, everybody knows who you are. But uh, everybody knows your expertise, et cetera. But, you know, the reason I got you on today is, I mean, I got this alert uh, last week by email that uh, you've got a book coming out that you uh, co- co-wrote with uh, Gene Wojciechowski, one of the great journalists we've had covering uh, college football for a long, long time. And uh, I just wanted to jump right into that real quick. What, what uh, I don't know, what was the spur that got you going on uh, wanting to get something out there book-wise? You know, I, I've uh, I've been asked by a number of people over the years to to potentially write a book, and I just I, I I've never obviously written one. I didn't know all that went into it, and I just put it on the back burner. I just I just never really thought maybe maybe when I retired I'd, I'd maybe look at it. Uh, Gene uh, came to me about a, a year or two ago and asked me if I had any interest in doing it. And I kind of told him the same thing. I said, "Man, I." maybe, you know, down the road. And if I do, I'd love for you to, to be involved because I have such res- uh, respect for him. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it was almost like a year ago right now when COVID really hit and everybody just kind of uh, quarantined and shut down. And, you know, in my case, my, my boys came back from Clemson. My other two boys were already here. You know, this is back when it first started, like, you know, how are we going to get groceries? You know, and we were, everybody nobody was going anywhere yeah you know? and uh you didn't really leave your house you know there for a few weeks and um he called me about a week or two after that and said hey you know would, would you have any interest in and in maybe revisiting it and i i don't know why i just said yeah i said um who knows what's going to happen tomorrow who knows what's going on with our with you know our our lives right now um let's, let's, let's maybe look at it and let's talk about what we'd want to do. Cause there's a variety of different themes you could do. You could do, you could do a year, a, a season of college game day. You could, you could do a lot of different things, you know, coaches, players. Um, but we just decided to talk a little bit about where my life started and, you know, basically in Trotwood, Ohio, and just kind of go through, you know, some of my life lessons and some of the trials and tribulations that, that I've lived through, not just as an athlete, but coming from a divorced family and have, ha- having a lot of dysfunction within my, my family that, that I've had to endure and mm-hmm. how, um, how I manage that. And, you know, being painfully shy, you know, when I first sat down with you by then, I, I'd played high school quarterback and I had, I had some experience with guys like Chick Ludwig at, at the Dayton Daily News and some of the local uh, TV stations. So I at least had gotten some reps, but I'm talking about if they asked me to stand up in fifth grade and give a speech, that was like the worst possible thing you could do to me. Like, so just yeah. to, to go from that to now I, you know, I speak in front of millions of people on a, on an average fall weekend with college football. So it's just a lot, a lot, a lot on a, just my journey. And then of course we get into uh, the sports, part of it as well 
Yeah, you know, and you got, I, th- I think you got a lot of family stuff in there too, like you like you pointed out, you know, and uh, yeah. I'm just wondering, was having all your family kind of back under one roof, would, would was that kind of a spur too? Because I would think at this moment in your life, you know, you're always going to get criticism if you talk too bad about Alabama or Ohio State or Texas or somebody. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. But, yeah. but, but having them all under one roof and how just, I don't know if lucky's not, but blessed your, your life has been, especially from a family situation, your own family. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it gives you goosebumps a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was about eight, I think I was about eight years old. My family, my mom and dad got a divorce. And then you know, I, I went to a different school almost every year. I, I, I think I ended up going from second grade to ninth grade. I think I went to a new school about every about every year uh, with wow. with just a lot of different moves. My mom remarried. I moved to I, I went from Trotwood to Centerville to Franklin, Ohio, to Cincinnati, Wyoming, back to Centerville. And for a guy who's really shy, that's a hard, a really hard thing to to, oh. uh, to manage. And then my ninth grade year, my mom and my dad decided to move in together after all that they'd both been remarried and divorced and full circle um, came back and just as friends, not not to be a, a couple, but just for me to have some semblance of normalcy, uh, they decided for my high school years to to live together. Um, and wow. and they, they did, you know, and, and yeah. it was it was amazing uh, experience. For, for me, after going through a lot of that, you know, that that some of the headaches that I went through from third, fourth grade all the way, you know, to, into high school. Dude, dude, that's crazy, though. I mean, that, that's crazy. Like you just pointed out a while ago to think about you afraid to stand up in a fifth or sixth grade class, maybe <laughs> even to say your name. You know, terrified to. I don't know. I don't know. I'd ask you. I think you're born with that. You know, I think you're either. I don't know. Maybe I, I feel like you're born as an introvert, you know, and I, I'm just an introvert by uh, by nature. That's just how I'm wired. And so when you're when you're that way, you know, the only time I would ever open up is if I was within my buddy, my circle of buddies. Yeah. Then I would I feel like I could be myself and and not worry about it. But if I didn't know the people in a room or I wasn't real comfortable with them. Um, and I had to stand up, my face would get immediately red and I, I just feel heat, heat, oh, yeah. coming, you know, and I, it's, it's more of an uncomfortable feeling than anything, almost, I guess, like social anxiety. Um, and it, I just, I, the only way I really got through it was talking to guys like you and doing interviews and, um, getting comfortable being uncomfortable, you know, and, and um, I think doing it rep after rep after rep after rep, by the time I was a senior at Ohio state and I would sit there and I'd have, you know, you were there, there'd be anywhere from 15, 20, 30 reporters around me with all these cameras and microphones and, you know, the old cassette tapes that you guys would have oh, yeah. I mean, it was just pointed at me. And um, I got to a point where I was really comfortable doing that, you know, which was that was really a turning point, I think, for me, you know, on a personal level, because I, I, I still wasn't comfortable giving necessarily a speech, but I could at least get up and talk about, hey, John Cooper thinks this, this or that. Or what, what do you think about playing Michigan or Syracuse or whatever? 
I can at least stand up and, and be confident and be comfortable uh, talking about whatever we were talking about. And, that, and for me, that was a, a long way from, from where I was, uh, you know, years before that. Yeah, but at least by then, finally, uh, finally and blessedly, you'd been named the starting quarterback at Ohio State. You know, we all went through, you know, I mean, yeah, uh, we could talk forever. Well, that'd be another. I, I, I tell you, man, the hardest part was being honest about Elliot Usalak and, and Ron Hudson in the book. You I, know, I, yeah. I feel like, and Gene taught me this, like, I've always been a guy that tries to say the right thing. I've always been a guy that's tried to uh, – you know, I don't, I just don't yeah. believe in, you know, going after people. And I had to be honest about that 1990, 1991. A lot of it was me, you know, a lot of it was on me and my skill level and where I was. But, you know, I, I wouldn't wish those two on my worst enemy as far as uh, their style and how they handled players and um i just i was honest you know about, yeah. about them so yeah i was gonna say man you lived through the robert smith episode and everything else and there was yeah there was a lot going on there behind the scenes i had, I had several coaches on that staff who who uh took a while for them to ever like me again because you know we were writing about stuff that was right in front of you and stuff but uh it's really funny ron hudson you know i remember nick cochran threw a touchdown pass in the spring game one year and I went down and, you know, how we talked, got to talk to all you guys way back then, remember? <laughs> and uh, and I said, yeah, what do you think about that? He, he was mad at Nick Cochran for throwing that pass. And I go, why are you mad? He goes, well, that won't be open in a real game. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going, I just went, what in the hell is he talking about? <laughs> Poor yeah, Nick. <laughs> a quick, a really quick story that we actually put in the book. So our, my senior year, you, you'll remember this. We, we opened up with Louisville home game. Students weren't on campus yet. Yeah. And you know how it is at, at Ohio Stadium when the students aren't on campus and you're playing a team you're supposed to beat. It's it's kind of a, a flat atmosphere. And we did Low just a fair. Yeah. Yeah. It did just enough. And they were actually a good team. Jeff Brom was the quarterback. We did yeah. just enough to, to hold on to beat them the next week. We played Gary Blackney and Bowling Green. Bowling Green ended up, I think, 10 and 1 that year. They were, they were a really good team. We lose Galloway to an ACL. We lose Alan Klein. Robert Smith cracks ribs. I mean, I hurt my ankle. Yeah. We had a lot of problems go on, but we just get through Bowling Green. So we at home beat Louisville, at home beat Bowling Green. We're basically getting booed, you know, off the field at our own stadium, and we're 2 and 0. And we're going to Syracuse, and nobody gives us a chance to play Syracuse. They're a top five or top ten team. Well, I mean, not only that, not only that, but they had beaten you guys in the Outback yeah. Bowl the yep. previous year. Yeah, almost the whole team was back. Marvin Graves and that yeah. kind of group. And so, opening drive, I I can't really feel. I'm shot up pretty good on my ankle. I can't really feel my my leg. Yeah. Opening drive, we we had through film study seen that their free safety when they went single high, he came down really aggressively on play action. So it was just one of those throw it up and and hope the safety comes up. There's really no not a read or a check down. It's just sell the fake hard to Raymond. I think it was Raymond Harris. I, I think my backfield, Robert Smith, Raymond Harris, Eddie George were my yeah. That's pretty good, pretty good lineup. Yeah. <laughs> So it was a hard play fake from about the 50 and just basically like 
you know, take two hitches and throw it as far and as high as you can. And the safety actually did not come up that far. So he was enabled to get back in position, but I still was supposed to throw it up and, and hope that Brian Stabline can go up and make a play. And he did. Yeah. Stabline was so gifted as an athlete, went up and over, made a play and we scored. I and mean, here we are supposed to get blown out. First series, we're up seven, nothing. And our sidelines, you know how when you, when you, when you have a chip on your shoulder because you're told you can't win a game, we were so unified that game. And I'm over the sideline and we're like, everyone's cussing and yelling. Oh, I told you, I told you we could do this. And I go over the phone. They were like the quarterback guy said, Hey, coach Hudson wants to talk to you. I, I pick up the phone. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Coach. Yeah. What's up? And he's like, all right, all right, all right, all right. Settle down, settle down. He's like, listen, what, let's go back to that, that second down on that tight end, that drag. What were you thinking? On that? And I go, F, I go like, I looked at this phone and I was like, after all I'd been through yeah. with him, I go, F you. And I hung, hung up the phone, didn't talk to him the rest of the game. Are you kidding? God, no. You never told me that story. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, how can you possibly? It's it, what yeah. you might think of that was you saying Nick Cochran threw a touchdown pass and you went down to say, boy, what, the, what a great throw by Nick. And he was like, Oh, what's he thinking? That's not going to be open in a game. It's like, what, what are you talking about? I know, exactly. So, Crazy. Surprised you survived all that. Hey, real yeah. quick, though. I, I did want to touch on this with you. I, I don't know if you touch on it in the book, but I, I remember talking to Gene about it because I haven't seen the book yet. But, uh, uh, you know, I just remember – I remember like it was five minutes ago when you guys came trotting out for yeah. practice the day you were told Kent Graham was going to be the starting quarterback. And I remember you were you – were, you know, y'all were doing special teams – warm-ups and you were catching the snaps for the uh for the field goal and I man I already knew no offense I was a really good reporter back then I already knew what you'd been told you know <laughs> but but I could see it and I just watched you and I just watched the disappointment you know you catch a snap and you put it down and you kind of you kind of looked at the ground and stuff yeah uh, how tough was that to go through as an athlete you know you were this superstar coming into Ohio State, really you were. You were that first big commitment to John Cooper and stuff. But how tough was that year to year to year being told you weren't the guy they wanted to lead the team? And then it, it, compare that to the, with the exaltation you had when you were finally told you were that. And that's I'm sure that's maybe a lesson you touch on in the book or at least go through. Yeah, I mean, I, I came in when I signed, it was like, Oh, we got this Herb street kid out of Centerville. He's going to start for four years, yeah. lead the Rose bowls. It was that kind of feeling. And um, I'll be honest with you. I was, I was coming out of a, of a, out of a triple option attack, wishbone attack. And all my movements were down the line and reading, you know, the front. Yeah. And all of a sudden I play in Jim Coletto's offense and it's like a West coast offense. We're dropping back. And it's one thing to think how you think as an 18, 19, and 20-year-old. It's another thing to think about it when you look back and think about it 30 years later. And I'll be really honest with myself, and I always am. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to play as a freshman. And it was a humiliating experience when you come in with those kind of expectations and you are perceived to fall flat on your face. And I was my tires, my wheels were spinning. You know, I, I was uh, – those first two or three years, I was, I was getting um, – just very, very cynical. I was getting upset. I was down to myself. I wanted to give up on the game. Uh, I wanted to go play baseball. I just didn't want to do it anymore. By my third year, we played Air Force that year in a bowl game. And that was like my one saving grace is I, 
we ran Air Force's offense in high school. So I, I requested to go back down on the scout team for the Air Force game so I could run that triple option to try to get our defense ready and had a lot of fun and a lot of success that that bull prep uh, getting ready. But I had really mentally already checked out. You know, wow. if I'm being, again, honest, I was done I, after my third year. Jim Coletto, uh, you know, he it would go on to leave, but he was just um, a lot to deal with for me. Uh, this, he's re- kind of a smart ass type of guy. Yeah. Yeah. And and when you weren't living up to the expectations, he, he was tough to deal with. And so I just I, I went to my dad who played at Ohio State and was a captain coach with Woody and told him, you know, I, I think this is it for me. And and he he didn't get upset or anything, but he encouraged me to, to give it another spring that uh, I'd come too far to, to, to give up on it. And he wanted me to kind of keep battling. I'm glad he gave me that advice because it wasn't like, you're not going to quit. You don't quit. We're herbs. It was nothing like that. It was more encouragement. It was more from love, not more, more out of you're, you're an embarrassment. What are you doing? It wasn't like that at all. And so I went through the spring and Kent Graham was there and Joe Pickens was like the the latest, you know, crown jewel coming in out of, out of uh, Cleveland St. Ignatius. And I was kind of like that forgotten guy. Well, I worked my ass off to get better as a passer and went into it. And Ron Hudson said, listen, we're going to, nobody's got a starting job. Greg Fry is gone. We're going to track every seven on seven throw. We're going to track every team throw. And we're going to look at those numbers. And based on that, that's how we're going to make a decision throughout spring and in the summer. So I went back to my old style. I was, I was now invested again. I hadn't been in three years. Now I was back to being like, I can do this. And, and I really was, I was to a point where I was able to make most of the throws um, in our offense. And so to, to feel like I performed with Kent, maybe, maybe above him throughout that spring and even into summer, and then to be told you're not going to get it, it, it just felt it was predetermined. The thing that kept me going is guys like Bernard Edwards, guys that were on our team that really wanted me to be the guy. You know, yeah. Kent, with all due respect to Kent, he, he had a wife, he had a baby. He, he was kind of a, a man, a young man. Yeah. And, he had, and he had transferred in, he had transferred there yeah. from Notre yeah. Dame, it et cetera. Go ahead. Yeah. Guys, you know, like hanging out and doing stuff that we all did. He just wasn't at that stage of his life. Yeah. And so I had a lot of camaraderie with the fellas, you know, with the guys. And so, <laughs> and, and, and when I was in the huddle, man, I was talking to them like, you know, like I was like, let's do this kind of thing. And, and they just seemed to feed off of that. And so, um, you know, I got some opportunities early in my junior year, Washington state can't got hurt. And I started against Drew Bledsoe and yeah. performed pretty well. And, and uh, Kent still was kind of the guy and, he, he would play some and I would come in. And anyway, that, that went on most of the year like that. Um, but I, I feel like that disappointment you're talking about is when you feel like you, you reinvested and you put everything into it and you performed as well. And then to be told, you know, we're going with the other guy, it was just another kick in the ribs, you know, but, yeah. but um, thankfully my teammates, um, that, that's what really got me through that is I, I was so close to becoming the guy that it wasn't like another disappointment, screw it, I'm out of here. It was, I wanted to accelerate. I wanted to push even harder because of the way my teammates were um, encouraging me and, and really making me feel like they wanted me to be the guy. And that, that's why I kept pushing and, 
and then it all paid off, you know, um, you know, towards the. Oh, I was going to say the funny thing about it was I thought Ohio State's offense had, had, had moved more toward your strengths anyway after yeah. Yeah. Coletto left because Coletto ran a, a basically a pro style yeah. passing attack. You remember that? I mean, it was yep. it was interesting. I mean, he was an interesting dude. That is for sure. You're right about that. But yeah. that's why I thought it was almost like. You know, because I like Kent Graham to this day. He's one, yeah, you know, one of my yeah. favorite guys ever, but so so are you. You know, it's really funny, but it's almost like, hey, this guy transferred in from Notre Dame, blah, blah, blah. You know, benefit of the doubt. You know, he is more of the stand-in-the-pocket thrower, even though that's kind of like not what we're doing anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I just – I thought it was so po- poetically strange or, or poisoning that you finally are named the starting quarterback in 1992 – and then you sprain your ankle. I mean, you're – dude, people don't remember – people don't remember watching you play. You had some wheels, my friend. Yeah. And uh, you had elusive moves, et cetera. And uh, to sprain an ankle, that's like taking your left arm and tying it around your back or something, right? Did you feel that yeah. way? Yeah. I mean, I had a high sprain, that, that high yeah. ankle sprain my entire – pretty Which much – Doesn't go away, yeah. You know, what was amazing is – uh, going back to uh, my high school years, I, I watched Michigan quite a bit. And Michigan and Notre Dame in those years, when they would get into short yardage and goal line situations, they would go into a wishbone look. Yeah. And they would run the triple option, you know, with, with Jim Harbaugh and Tony Rice. And so when I was at Ohio State, finally my senior year, I went up to Joe Hollis, who took over for L.A. Uslack as the offense coordinator. This is before I got hurt. Yeah. And Jeff Cothran was a really talented tailback who had grown into a fullback and I said hey coach in this like in early June I said coach if, if I work with Jeff on that mesh I said do you think we could we could implement some some triple option uh could you imagine a defense it takes a whole week to get to ready to defend a triple option a true triple option you just don't have the time so if you're getting ready for all the other stuff we're doing now you got to get ready for a triple in the short yardage and goal line. He goes, I love that idea. If you and Jeff work really hard and get, you know, really, really prolific at it, we'll, we'll put it in. We'll put it in in those short yardage and goal line situations. And I was so fired up because it was a wrinkle no one has ever heard of or seen at Ohio State. Yeah. It was wheelhouse for me. It was, it was very natural for me. I just had to get Jeff, for people that don't know, on a triple option, you, you put – and it's really like modern football today with zone read. You put the ball into the belly of the fullback, and I, you're not looking at him. You're both looking at the read, usually the first defensive lineman outside of the guard. So you put that ball in there. You're looking right at him, and you you, you kind of ride the fullback. And if that guy commits down to, to the fullback, to Jeff Cothran, you pull it out. And then you go to the end man on the line of scrimmage and you would pitch off of him or fake a pitch and run. And if he stays wide, you just hand it off to Jeff. It's really, if it's run right, you can't defend it, especially yes. if you don't spend time, uh, you know, during your week of practice. So I was, I got Jeff. Jeff is such a great guy. Jeff would work hard on it in the summer. And we got to a point where we were really starting to feel good about it. And we weren't going to really show it in the Louisville and Bowling Green game. And then I end up really tearing my ankle up and part of my Achilles and I'm just trying to limp through. And so we never really could implement that, that part of our offense, which I think would have been uh, a game changer really, if I were hundred percent healthy and, and able to run it with, uh, with Jeff. I thought it was pretty funny. You know, you were all healthy uh, your first four years there. Then your then your senior year, you get hurt. 
uh, basically, but now you're their guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. They're throwing you out there. I mean, yeah, and it's pretty funny. I mean, but no, I'm, I'm, you went out because, man, I'll never forget that day, like two years earlier, when John Cooper came walking up with you and well, y'all walked up to me and said, uh, T- Cooper, Coach Cooper said, Tim, uh, Kirk's got something to tell you. He goes, uh, He's going to be – I'm just paraphrasing here, but we're moving him from uh, quarterback to safety, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. And you were like, yeah, that's – you know, you were giving me this kind of half, half-assed half gung-ho look. You know, I'm just going you – know, and, uh, and, of course, I think two weeks later you were back at quarterback. But, uh, oh, yeah. But, yeah, you were trying to get on the field for Ohio State. You know, right? I, I was, and I, I, I started to cover kickoffs and scout team. And I had so much rage and anger in me, even on the yeah. scout team kickoff coverage, to think that this is where this is where the five-star guy two years later is. He's on a scout team covering kickoffs. And I was really upset. And so I was covering these kickoffs and scout team, basically like a wedge buster, just running down. And I was a big guy. I was 6'3", 230 yeah. pounds. that could run a 4'6". So I'm running down there as hard as I can. And I'm not afraid to hit people. And I was hitting people. And then they end up saying, man, let, let's put him into the game and, and, and let him cover a kickoff. So I started covering kickoffs like a madman, hitting people. <laughs> now I wouldn't move to safety yet. I was still just a quarterback. Yeah. And then that's when Ron Hutz – or uh, that's when uh, John Cooper pulled me into his office after a couple games of covering kickoffs in, in real games, making some tackles. And he said, Herbie, you know, we love you. And uh, we think you're a big athletic guy that, that uh, we're wasting – on the bench, we feel like you can help us. You know, we're going to move you over to safety. I want you to buy into that if, if that's if that's something you're, you're, you'll consider. And I was like, yeah. At that point, I was like, man, coach, I'll do anything. Yeah. I just want to play. You know, yeah. I just want to play. So I went over there. Bo Pelini was uh, was starting free safety. God bless Bo. I mean, he was trying as best as he could to, to try to coach me up. And Ron Zook was a defensive uh, back coach. And, yeah. Uh, you know, we had Benny Clark and all these really talented guys. And I'm sitting here, I hadn't played defense since I was in fifth or sixth grade. And I'm sitting there trying to like backpedal and do these drills. And like you said, I now I had bigger shoulder pads. I was wearing these red Newman gloves, you know, back in those days. Yeah. It lasted about a week and a half. And I was just like, you know what? I think I want to go as much as I can't stand Ron Hudson. I, I think I want to go back. <laughs> and uh, it, it be a quarterback again. But, hey, listen to this because we don't have much time left. But I just want to say, I mean, what, what what are the lessons you kind of in your book with Gene? Uh, you know, what are the lessons you kind of like you you think you kind of teach in there? Is it about perseverance? Is it about uh, know who you are more? You know, you know who you are more than the guy maybe coaching you. Kind of, you know, what are sort of those lessons you kind of pass along to your four to your four boys? I mean, you know, you know, you've been blessed, like I said. I mean, with a a great family. Uh, just what, what have you kind of like pushed on them more than anything else about your athletic experience? You know, I, I heard a pastor one time say, you're either in the middle of a storm, you're coming out of a storm, yeah. you're heading into a storm. And I think that's just life, right? I yeah. mean, we, we live in, in a, the world of adversity as adults. And that was my first real adversity that I had to cope with and, and manage. And that's why when we talk about opting out, when I see players opting out and, and a lot of times just instantly going to another school, I can only speak on my experience that what I went through was, was hell. What I went through was not easy. What I went through was embarrassing and humiliating. And yet my dad's encouragement, my dad's not 
you better get your ass back in there. Kind of, it wasn't that it was encouragement and belief and my teammates belief in me got me to the other side. And, and so my, my lesson that I learned was exactly what you're talking about is perseverance and, and not giving up when things go sideways and, and keep doing the right thing and keep trusting it and keep working at it. And whether it, you end up becoming like the starter and a captain and most inspirational player. I mean, I was fortunate on the back end of my journey, all those things that happened on my back end. Yeah. But if that wouldn't have happened, I, I, I wonder where I would be as far as I would have been proud of myself. I think that I, I, I lived through it. I fought through it. I didn't give up. And, um, I think because of the way my teammates and my, my really tight circle of family and friends, um, they, they were, were proud of me, you know, more than anything, because I didn't go play baseball. I didn't transfer. Um, I got out of that cynical way of living that I, I was living those, those first three years. And, um, you know, I, I hope people, the, these players that decide, wow, the coach yelled at me, the, the coach made me get up at six in the morning this isn't the place for me. I'm, I'm going to leave. You know, I think we're really cheating these kids out to give them these automatic, uh, basically get out of jail free card because that's not how life's going to be. Yeah. You know, you're going to have differences with your boss. You're going to have differences with your wife. You're going to have differences with your children. Uh, you you got to learn how to cope with those things and manage those things and, and work through those things and I just I worry in college football right now that we're teaching kids, hey, when the going get tough, just transfer, you know, yeah. go to another school. And so um, I, I hope I hope more and more people will try to get fight through it and and uh, and keep trying to find a positive. Yeah, you're yin my yang, man, because I was going to say I was going to dovetail right into that, you know, with the uh, one time transfer rule that's coming, you know, coming down the pike name, image and likeness, which is another and I'm not, you know, I'm not knocking it because I always, I've always thought, you know, big time uh, uh, college football and basketball players do bring in revenue now, without a doubt, that wasn't there even when you were playing. Yeah. And there's no doubt that they should share somewhere in that pie. They should get some of the filling. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but it, but it, but the, even that's getting getting something now that usually in the old days or whatever you had to kind of wait on. You know. Uh, uh, remuneration reward for one of another term and stuff. And I just touched on that real quick. Uh, Kirk, do, do you feel like this is sort of a, I don't know, a crossroads era we're going to be going through? What's just your take on it? I think this is the most critical time in my lifetime, maybe ever for the sport, um, for the NCAA. And really, if you just take the NCAA out of it, just college football. Um, you know, I was, I was with Saquon Barkley the other night at an event where he and I were, were uh, speaking and we were just talking about how, how players are skipping bowl games, you know, not just the blue bonnet type of bowl, you know, that's a third or fourth tier, yeah. but the Rose bowl or the sugar bowl or the orange bowl when they're not in the rotation. And I just feel like we forgetting the players for a second, we meaning you and your coverage and me and my coverage, we are all so guilty and especially ESPN on a national level, focusing on the playoff, the playoff, oh, yeah. the playoff that we've gotten away from like Iowa might be playing, I don't know, Michigan in a really interesting game as far as those two teams and, and where they might finish in their season. They're not close to a playoff maybe, but 
but man, it's Iowa and it's Michigan. It's at Kinnick and it's a night game and it's going to be hyped up. Like we need to celebrate that kind of game or Mississippi States playing Kentucky. I don't know. And it's both these teams are off the grid as far as the playoff, but boy, for Mark Stoops and what he's building in Lexington and what's going on with Mississippi that's a great game. You know, I, I feel like we've gotten away from just celebrating the sport and just competitive games. And it's all, it's not about the playoff. Don't worry about who cares. And it's like, so we have taught this generation of players that opt out. Those games don't matter. The only thing that matters is the playoff. And so I really hope that we, the, the people that kind of set the tone and create the opinions will broaden our scope and talk more about the sport and what we all love about a football Saturday in Columbus or wherever you happen to be. And we celebrate the sport because I think we are getting these players where all the players think about is I'm going to go to Ohio state. I'm not saying all of them going to go to Ohio state. I'm going to go to Michigan state. I'm going to go to Florida state three years, three. Yeah. I'm going to go three years. Then I'm going to the NFL in the middle of that. I'm going to get some money. And then they, they don't dig any roots into their school and they don't, bring their families back to the oval and like, Oh yeah, I had a class over here. Like there's, there's just none of that. It's just a pit stop to go to try to get to the NFL. Yeah. Keep in mind 2% make it to the NFL and we're, yeah. we're, we're throwing all of our eggs into that basket. So I, I think we are with name, image and likeness with players opting out with players, transferring, skipping bowl games, we got to we got to take a big step back as a sport and remember why we play college football. It's not just about going to the NFL. And um, I think when that's the focus and we get away from the experience and the education and the moments, I mean, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 on a college campus. Yeah. Playing big time college football. A lot of times on national TV with your boys. I mean, are you kidding me? I've never interviewed an NFL player and have them say to me, man, I'm so glad I'm done with college football. I would never want to go back there again. Every guy, you've done the same thing. Every single guy says what I would give to go back just one more time and play in that college campus on that, on that field for that team, just one more time. Yeah. And these guys that are in college, they're, they're trying to get out and everyone that's left, they all want to come back in. These college players need to wake up and realize that they've, they've got it pretty good. Well, they're not only trying to get out, but a lot of people around them are, around them are pushing, trying to get them out too. You know I mean? They all want to catch into the, being the contrail, you know, the B-52, you know, uh, uh, it's just, it's really, it's really interesting to me. It's really fun because when you're talking here, you know, I get, I get, I get charged up about college football. I always have, and yeah. and I was just, you know, everything you were saying there, people may not have seen. It, I was nodding at almost every point you were making. You know, and I'm, I'm just thinking back. Coastal Carolina, BYU is one of the great games you're ever gonna see this past year. You know, most of them, both of them were just trying to fight, knocking on the door. Hey, think about us in that Final Four thing, but. Forget that. It was a hell of a football game, you know? Yeah, and, you know, like, it's it's like Ohio State, for example. If Ohio State makes a run any year, yeah. uh, remember the year that they ended up coming a little bit short of the playoff and the, they ended up going to the Cotton Bowl to play USC. And, and USC, they, they didn't make it into the playoff either. Yeah. And they ended up going to the Cotton Bowl. There was a percentage of fans that were like, oh, my God, what a terrible year. Meanwhile – I think they played Sam Darnold. If they I'm did. Honest. They, played, yeah. they ended up beating him pretty convincingly. 
and it's a great, I don't remember what year it was. What a 2017, great, I think 17, but go ahead. Yeah. Great team that should yeah. be celebrated forever. And we're to a point, eh, they didn't make the playoff. You know, it's almost just like, so I, I think, I think that we got to, we got to step back a little bit on, yeah, we all want to make a playoff. We all want to win the national championship. When you're at Ohio state, you should. Yeah. But if you don't make it, that's still, it's still, okay. oh, yeah. it's still okay. It's still yeah. a great year. And those players are still great players and they deserve a hundred percent support to get behind them. And um, I just feel like you imagine if you don't, if you're Ryan day, you don't make the playoff. It's a fail. You're a failure. Yeah. Hey, I talked about that last week, uh, you know, in the last couple of weeks with Paul Feinbaum, for example, I had him on and we were talking about, you know, it's like, it's like final four or bust. And, and, and the bust part that, uh, we, you know, whether you liked Andy Geiger or not, he, he forecast this a long time ago because he pointed out the fact that college football is sort of a, it, at his, at his guts, at his roots, it's sort of a regional sport, you know, in a lot of respects, yeah. Yeah. there are very few national brands and even, Two of the big, maybe the two biggest national brands going Alabama and Ohio State, you know, the viewership of that game yep. this past year was not, of course, viewership's been down all across the board because everybody's yep. got everything else going for them. But, yeah. but yeah, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater cliche no. here. And everybody now, everybody's pushing for 418 playoff. I go, you know, really, you got to get the 14 thing figured out first, you know, yeah. from an yeah. interesting book. I didn't yeah. mean, but, I, but I, when we had, when we were at two with the BCS, Yes. Every game, those games in September, everybody was on the edge of their seat. Like, yeah. I, you could say whatever you want, like games matter, they don't matter. In that era, as much as we argued about computers shouldn't be ranking teams, the one thing we all agreed on is if Ohio State opened up with Oklahoma or whoever it might be, it you felt like, oh, my gosh, like this is a huge game for Ohio State or for whoever it might be. Yeah. And during the playoff era, you, I mean, yeah, they're big games, but you don't, I don't feel like that same sense of urgency that we had when we had the BCS. And if you go to eight or 12 or whatever you're going to go to, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how we recapture the regular season mattering. Yeah. My, fam yeah. My famous yeah. point about that is if you go, when you go to four, you got two or three teams that claim they should be in it. If you go to eight, there's going to be eight or nine teams who think they should be. Number eight, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's that's and if you go bigger than that, I mean, you know, whatever you're going to throw everything else out that's really made college football different. I mean, real hey, I know you don't have much time, but real quick, uh, uh, you know, I, I've given you kudos privately and stuff about this before, uh, but I remember, I remember when you had the Les Miles scoop way back when, remember before they were playing in the uh, SEC championship game, and uh, and you caught a lot of heat for that. In fact, you were very right from everybody I've talked to about it and stuff about him going to Michigan from LSU and stuff. What I'm getting to here is uh, just real quick. He's in a lot of heat now. I'm talking about Les Miles is, and uh, you know, in, in contrast that with Tom Allen sitting at Indiana, Indiana was probably the second best team in the big 10 last year. Are you kidding? You know, the big 10 got flipped upside down except for the team at the top. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But just just touch on those two things real quick. Les Miles, I mean, how serious a situation do you think this is that uh, Kansas has now put him on leave, uh, et cetera, while uh, they look into problems at LSU? And and then Tom Allen, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, the, the Les Miles thing, only thing I know is probably like you just from what I've been reading and, and um, goes back to his days at LSU. And yeah. Just – you know, it's just sad, you know, to, to think that, uh, you know, these are allegations at this point. I don't know yes. if there's truth to it or not. The reality is that he's been put on 
on administrative leave for now. Um, Jeff Long, who's the AD there, is, you know, I, I don't know if Jeff's going to be okay or not, you know, based on everything you read. Um, but clearly Kansas is – people forget, you go back to 2007. I know that was a long time ago now, but they had Mark Mangino. They were, they were tough, man. Oh, yeah. They, they and Glenn Mason, but they have been off the grid for a number. Turner Gill was there. Charlie Weiss was there. David Beatty was there. Les Miles has been there. It's almost like they've stopped playing football yeah. for, for the last decade. I mean, they've been way off. So, I, you know, I, I just feel bad. But anytime something like this goes down, I, I, I feel awful about it. On the other hand, Tom Allen, if you and I would have said, uh, the Tom Allen, when he took over for Kevin, that he was going to get them to this point. Yeah. I, I mean, he didn't have any head coaching experience. He really didn't know the Big Ten yeah. uh, that well. And, I, you know, I, Indiana's always, for me, they've always kind of been a, like the equator of, of the Big Ten. You know, they, they might be at a five-win season. They might be a six-seven. They're just kind of – That's a good analogy. Yeah. And – they don't go too far down. They don't go too far up, but they're they're Kevin did a really good job. Bill Mowry years ago did a really good job with them, but I didn't, I didn't know that they were capable of putting this kind of run together. And it just goes to show you where I guess we are in college football. If you can put a system together and build a, a, around a quarterback that has a certain skill set, but I think it's bigger than that. You know, when he stands up at a post game meeting or a, a win and he starts talking Tim to me. Yeah. Some people may roll their eyes and, you know, guys crying, you know, like Dick Vermeil. I think it's genuine. Oh, yeah, I do too. And I, and I think the reaction from his players when he talks about how much he loves them, I, even when they lost to Ohio State, the way they fought back and he stood up in front of them after that game, this, we are not here for a moral victory. I mean, he just seems like a guy I would want to play for. You yeah. know, like if you're, a, if you're not a five-star, like we said, three and out to the NFL kind of guy – and you want to go somewhere and be a part of something special. I don't know how you don't look hard at Bloomington. So I don't think this is a, a blip. I don't think Indiana's going to pat him on the back. Great job in 2020. We'll see you back at the equator in 2021. I don't think so. I think they've been close with Kevin Wilson in the past. They've been close with Tom Allen. And it's the first time they finally got over the hump. And I don't, I don't, I just don't think they're going to go away. He's recruiting well. He's got a heck of a roster coming back again this year. Yep. I think uh, he, they're paying him well. The facilities have been upgraded like they have been most places in the Big Ten. But uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Tom Allen's. Ten sec, give me a 10-second take on Jim Harbaugh. Do they, do they get their act together? I mean, you know, football is such – people don't understand. Football is kind of like growing crops. You know, if you get a great recruiting class, you get this – Get this early rising, you know, what they call it, winter wheat, you know, and stuff. But what else has kind of come up in that field, you know, through the recruiting and stuff that's going to, you know, materialize or whatever you're going to develop and stuff. And it really looks like Michigan took a big step back last year just from talent standpoint, et cetera. Uh, Has Jim Harbaugh, do you think, does he have what it takes? I mean, you know, I know you got to be a little political here because it is, you never know when somebody's going to get it going. Indiana's got it going, right? Yeah. But yeah. W- 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 just in 10 seconds, what do you think? What do you, what do you think's coming? Tell me the last great Michigan quarterback. Yeah, there you go. Uh, we, 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 we are today building offenses around the quarterback, and they've been okay and good enough at running back and okay and good enough at receiver and O line. 
but they have not been elite at that position. And so we can talk Josh Gaddis, we can talk Don Brown and defense, but to me, until you get that spot right, you're, you're, you're swimming upstream. And I just feel like that's the spot that they've got to get right. They've got some new young players are going to be coming up. We'll see. They're basically starting over. Yeah. So it's going to be two steps forward, one step back still. But I hope they can get that spot right. If, uh, if they do, then I think they have a chance to – everything can kind of quiet down for him. Speaking of quarterback, and we're out of here. This is the last thing. Ohio State's got a derby. He's going to have a derby going on in the spring. If you know, if, can, if spring can any be any semblance of springs in the past, uh, C.J. Stroud, obviously Jack Miller the third, Cal McCord the kid from uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, the the first two played little, if any, last year in relief of Justin Fields. But C.J. Stroud ended up being it looked like number two at least. You know, when when Justin had to go out of the game a couple of times, uh, the kid coming in from Pennsylvania is extremely talented. Just what I know you keep up with this a little bit because it's, it's your roots. Uh, what, what would be number one? What do you see coming there? But number two, what would be your advice to these guys? You know, we talked about the book a while ago and the lessons you've learned, et cetera. But what would be your advice? I would spend as much time as humanly possible with Ryan Day. I mean, Ryan Day to me, I would put I travel all over the country. I work with all these guys. Sark right now is a really hot brand. He went to Texas to take over, working with quarterbacks at Alabama. Now he's at Texas. Uh, what Lincoln Riley's doing at Oklahoma speaks for itself, obviously. But I think Ryan Day right now, uh, what he did with Dwayne Haskins, who had a completely different skill set than what he's done with Justin Fields over these last two years. So I, I feel like Ryan Day is becoming one of these quarterback whispers. Yeah. I can't sit here with a crystal ball and tell you about these three guys because all I've ever really seen them in is what you've seen is mop-up duty or high school highlights. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see who gets a chance to, to kind of emerge after spring. That means he's the guy. But Ryan Day is going to put whoever that is with the skill that they have coming back at receiver. And they're, I think they're really still going to be really good at running back. The, you know, early it's going to be – don't lose the game from this position, be a distributor, you know? And then I think as, as the season evolves and you get more experience and more confidence, then you can become part of the reason why you're winning games. But early it's going to be about, you know, being smart, being not turning the ball over, get the ball to the skill guys in space. And then I think as, as like I said, like any quarterback, you get to week four, week five, week six. Now you start creating, making plays, and letting the game slow down a little bit. But uh, I have no idea who would be – I'm assuming uh, – uh, I, I don't know. You tell me, but it seems to me that the Stroud kid, because he was the backup, yeah, more than likely have have the, the early edge. But I think Ryan Day will open it up. And, oh, he said so. Yeah. Let these guys, you know, turn it loose and, and see what they can do. Hey, indulge me one last thing. I wanted to ask you this earlier when we were talking about you and growing up and getting your – getting your confidence and stuff about being on television stuff. You know, Paul Spahn, Moose, is one of my favorite guys. I still play golf with him almost every week. He's one of your favorite guys, too. Uh, you know, he he reminded me of those stories when you first got on. You know, you were doing that late-night uh, television yeah, stuff on Channel 10, and he would be standing – He want, you wanted him standing right off your side, right off camera, because yeah. you were so – I don't know if nervous is right. I think you're more of a perfectionist kind of guy. You don't want to screw up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, is, is it amazing 
how far you've come from that moment to where now you're sitting next to Corso and he's putting on his head headgear. You know what I mean? I mean, just how much did Moose mean well, to you in those early years? Every time I go back to Columbus, I see him and I remind him that he's he's why I'm there. Yeah. You know, I never forget the people who helped me. Terry Smith helped me in radio. I didn't. Yes. I, I was a business major. Terry Smith went to bat for me and put me on his, his show. We started Sportsline in 19, August of 1993. We did 5.30 to 7 o'clock. And I was, I was just a kid, not really – I didn't know what I was doing. And I ended up doing radio for about 14 or 15 years. Yeah. But when I moved, moved over to do that, that wall-to-wall show, I, ne- I didn't have really any TV experience. Now I'm reading teleprompter. Oh my God, I was terrified to read teleprompter yeah. without sounding like this. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm oh, yeah. Jay Crawford, who's such a pro, and he's just bada bing, bada boom, bada bing. And so I was, yeah, I had a lot of apprehension, but man, Moose, he was like a mother hen for me. You know, he would, I would be like, oh my God. I was like a, a boxer that was all freaked out. I'd come into the corner and he'd like, Rub my shoulders. Tell me it's going to be okay. Oh, no, no, you did. Oh, you did great with this. You did great with it. This is going yeah. to be great. This is going to be great. He just kept encouraging me and getting me to believe. He was just a great coach. You know, you know his energy. You play golf. You've known him forever. Oh yeah. But he's just one of those guys that just makes you relax when you're with him. And and uh, man, I'll never him and and Jay and Dom, all those guys over Channel Ten, had had so much to do with me uh, just starting out and. Uh, Mick, their camera guy, uh, he helped me put my tape together. I, had, I didn't have a tape to put together. And Mick Lewis helped me put a tape together where we made it up. You know, I called Eddie George, who just won the Heisman. And Joey Galloway was about to be a first rounder. And I called a little show called Buckeye Corner, which was not even a show. And we did like 10 minutes. I was like, welcome back to Buckeye Corner. I just, they filmed it in the Channel 10 studios. And we talked for about 10 minutes. We put that on my tape. We went to Ohio Stadium in February when it's freezing, and I pretended with Mick, who's my camera guy, he would act like I'm a sideline reporter. We're standing in an empty Ohio Stadium in February, and I would act like I was a sideline reporter. All right, thanks, Brent. And I would say a report into the camera because I didn't know what else to do. Yeah. Um, Moose told me to do those things and put it on a tape, and that's what we did. And we sent it into ESPN and, and ABC. So, man, I, they doesn't go by that I don't. I don't appreciate and thank uh, those guys for that time and, and Moose for his guidance. It was very instrumental for me. Dude, Moose and I were playing golf the other day. We were talking about you. I mean, you yeah. know what I mean? I mean, because, you know, and the thing about it is what you got it. Everybody, almost everybody has to have somebody who believes in them. Yeah. You know, Moose believed in you, man. And uh, it was really cool. And so did other guys, you know, I mean, I, I came on your radio show a bunch, you know, back yeah. then and I totally yeah. enjoyed it, but you know, anybody could see that, once you got your act together, you were going places. I think maybe it was hardest for you to see, you know, yeah. <laughs> here oh, you are, you're writing a book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it was it, for what I had been through. Now here's the one thing that helped me is I grew up not listening really to music, but I grew up listening to Andy Furman and Chris Collinsworth as yeah. a teenager. So I was always either growing up in the Dayton area in high school, if I was driving, my car had either the reds on, or or WLW, you know, even Gary Burbank. Like I listened to AM radio. Yeah, that, everyone else is listening to Van Halen and whatever else, and they get in my car and they're like, "Oh my god," you know. <laughs> I'm sitting there, but I saw it. That's what I did, and and I think it it just 
made me realize, even as a business major, man, I would love to talk about sports for a living. How cool would that be? And uh, that's kind of what eventually got me started. But you're right, with Terry Smith, without Terry Smith, without Moose and Jay and Dom and all the people, yourself and others that were so um, helpful and me just kind of, and I didn't have a plan. It wasn't like, I'm going to go to game day. I was like, I just wanted to do local radio and local TV and probably would have done that rest of my life, you know, and and enjoyed it. But it's one opportunity led to another, led to another, led to another. And it happened like, you know, like that. And it was so different back then than it is now. There wasn't Big Ten Network, ACC Network. S. These Those are like the minor leagues where you can get some reps. It was just network television and ESPN. Yeah. That was it. And there was yeah. no like weekly show. It was just game day on the weekend and games. No that YouTube. All, that, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was all there was. There, there weren't a lot of opportunities uh, out there. That's, that's for sure. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Kirk Herbstreet. Kirk, you know, I'll have you on quite a few more times, you know, leading up to the season and stuff. But uh, uh, as as we get ready for yet another football season, last year I don't think it was a referendum on anything. I think you guys did a hell of a job. You even went through COVID-19 and came out the other end, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I still can't taste or smell. It's about been about 10 weeks. But, wow. Uh, yeah. yeah well, it's, it's, what, what a year for all of us, you know. Yes. And hopefully we're getting closer to uh, – to, to looking forward to stadiums being full. I, I, I'm hearing rumors that people are thinking that there's going to be full stadiums. Can you imagine yeah. what that'll be like the first time you go back to the shoe and there's a hundred thousand people in there? I, I mean, yeah. I, it gives me chills. I, I hope it's, I hope it's this year, man. I yeah. hope it happens. Well, all I know is I'm getting my second vaccine shot in a, in a week. So uh, yeah. you know, I'm going to be there no matter what, man. <laughs> hey, Kirk, thanks for being on the Tim May Podcast, my brother. Anytime, my man. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. As always, I appreciate uh, Kirk Herbstreit coming on the Tim May podcast. Uh, not only does it boost my ratings, but, man, I love to, I've always loved talking to Kirk, even when he was a not even a backup quarterback, a third string, whatever you want to call it, way back when, when he was fighting for his spot, you know, to, to finally make a difference uh, on the Ohio State football team, you know, and, Something we didn't bring up then, but, uh, you know, uh, awesome. He was the quarterback when they finally broke at least the run by Michigan there, uh, the lost streak to Michigan with that tie, the uh, tie that Gordon Gee said was one of the greatest wins in Ohio State history. You know, even though it was uh, laughable, it definitely made sense if you were covering Ohio State football back in the late 80s and early 90s. But it's always a pleasure to talk to Kirk, right? Uh, yeah, and I've said that 
whenever he's been on here to to bump you up in that ratings battle that uh, <laughs> he's, he's so knowledgeable. I know that people have strong feelings about him in a lot of different directions, both in Columbus and nationally. And that, that generally means that you're doing your job pretty well. Uh, yeah. We got, if we got one, one side or the other, that's when ESPN would have to stop promoting him to the moon uh, to do anything that they could possibly find for him to do. But uh, I, I like I enjoy, I've always enjoyed talking to him. Uh, he was really nice to me when I was at ESPN. Uh, you know, helped out wherever he could. Uh, I'll never you know forget that because uh, I don't have that long term background with him the way that you do and many others in this market. But um, great guy. I love his insight. I'm always glad when he's on your podcast. Yeah, and I think I think the the one lesson that came through once again for folks who want to get into our business or his business, you know, hard work is what gets you there, man. I mean. He was no overnight sensation, you know, went from college football immediately to an analyst on ESPN. He paid his dues, man. Like he talked about, man, when he was in elementary school, he was afraid to even get up in front of the class and give any kind of like talk or speech or even answer questions. And, uh, and now he does it in front of millions uh, uh, every weekend and stuff. And just, you know, and the, and the homage he paid to uh, Paul Spahn, one of my favorite people of all time, Moose, guy I still play golf with once a week. <laughs> Uh, and how Moose helped him get going and stuff. I mean, it's it takes a lot of people uh, in your background sometimes to give you a break, to point the way for you. But then you have to finally take the bull by the horns and ride it. And that's what Kurt did. And that's what I give it up to him for. You know, he went through some hard, hard knocks as a kid and uh, even some hard knocks when he got into the profession. But uh, obviously he rose to the front. I think he's rose to the top. I think his Emmys te are testament to that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and nobody gets to that level without a lot of help and I think oh yeah that, and, and I think luck that, yeah you know and some people you know we know some people who uh, think that they did it all by themselves and, yeah and, and you know and act that way and don't don't pay it back when they have the opportunity to do so and that's what I that's why I mentioned that with Kirk I mean I you know I had already achieved something decent in my life to get to ESPN that was my dream job at that time um, but I you know I was starting over and uh having to do something else. And he had no, there was no reason that he had to help me uh, or, you know, give me any time. I mean, I, there were a lot of other people that were fighting for that. So I'll, I always appreciate that. That tells you a lot about those people at the top, uh, how much they're willing to help and who they'll help and when they'll do it. And if there's anything coming back for them or not. So that's, yeah, he did that for me and I appreciate it. Hey, uh, real quick. Uh, before we move on to a provocative question, I want to ask you, Ooh. or not a provocative, I just want to make a provocative statement out oh. there. Uh, the reason why I th thought it would be great to have a huge crowd to Ohio State spring game this year. Yeah. Uh, three quarterbacks trying to win the battle, a defense trying to show it can stop passes. Maybe the best now that Devontae Smith is gone. Uh, Waddle's gone too, isn't he from Alabama? Didn't he leave? Uh, maybe the best wide receiving core in the country, maybe the best tight end in the country, Jeremy Ruckert. Man, this would be this spring game would be one of those coming up where you just let it all hang out if you're Ryan Day, just throw a hundred passes, right? Because you you've got three quarterbacks you want to evaluate on whether they can uh, run the offense, and the offense is as much throwing as it is running anymore. You don't you don't go into those games and try to get running backs beat up. 
nope. because it also beats up your linebackers. You know what I mean? Uh, there's all kinds of reasons why this would be the greatest, one of the great aerial circuses you've ever seen uh, come uh, April 17th. It, it would be fun to get to see that, wouldn't it? Uh, without question. And that's, I mean, I've got good optimism that, you know, you and I will at least be able to be in the horseshoe. Hopefully there'll be a lot of uh, company in the stands and yeah, bring more normalcy. You know, I, I certainly hope so. We'll see if that happens or not, as I said earlier on in the show, but um, <laughs> then you get into one of those timeless debates. If you give up 450 passing yards in the spring game, is that a sign that Ohio state's not getting the secondary fixed uh, or vice versa? If seven banks and, uh, Marcus Williamson grab a couple interceptions. Does that mean that uh, you, you've got a lot of problems at quarterback? Uh, somebody has to win those matchups. Um, it does help, I think, that the Ohio State offense would probably be throwing to uh, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jameson Williams, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, Julian Fleming. You know, when you talk, you kind of put a big caveat there. Don't need it. There's no asterisk. That's, this is the best wide receiving group in the country. Yeah. There's no question about that. And I brought this up. Uh, on Letterman Live on Monday that, and Nicole Cox did as well with the stat that, you know, the PFF grades that number one and number two are Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. That's, that's absolutely nuts to think about. Um, you know, yeah. if you're grading the tandems, obviously Ohio state's got the best one, but they have the two best individuals as well. I just, I can't really remember being around or seeing a team like this, that the, the embarrassment of riches that they have to throw to and, and what that could mean for, C.J. Stroud, Jack Miller, or Kyle McCord. Yeah, and it was funny, like you said, if you, if if A happens, then B. What's wrong with B? If B happens, then what's wrong with A? I just remember back to Justin Fields uh, two years yeah. ago, that spring game. Uh, you know, he had the great long pass. Who who caught that? Uh, ben Victor. Uh, yeah, and it was thrown short. You know, yeah. but it turned into. But you're kind of coming out of that game, going, my, my Justin Fields. I don't know. Yeah, now Justin Fields, you know, is going to be taken. I think earlier than most people expect in the NFL draft because the NFL draft uh, pre-draft wackiness is uh, picking up steam again, but suddenly people are finding out, Hey, maybe, Hey, you know, Trey Lance, he didn't play at North Dakota with North Dakota state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe he's not, maybe in his polished or whatever as we think he is. Let's uh, reevaluate Justin Fields. Now that's what we're seeing. <laughs> right. I mean, remember we were talking about this a week ago about how Justin was slipping. Now Justin is going back up the pole because, you know, Justin Fields, when he had a few, you know, struggles, it was against uh, uh, Indiana, which blitzed coming off the bus. It was against Northwestern when he didn't have his primary receiver there uh, in Chris Olave. Uh, and, uh, and also, it, as people found out, Northwestern had a hell of a defense this year with some really good defensive players that are going to get drafted. And uh, then against Clemson, he lit up Clemson like it was a Christmas tree. And well, yeah. yeah, and he struggled against Alabama. I don't know if struggles. Yeah, he struggled against Alabama, but the Ohio State offense struggled against Alabama when they lost Trey Sermon. But the point is, you've got some ways to uh, evaluate Justin Fields going against big time competition, not Division One AA, FCS, whatever you want to call it. And I think people are finally coming back to their senses. This guy can throw every pass, plus he runs very fast when he has to. Uh, you saw him get better almost every week uh, that he played football and. I think it's uh, finally, uh, you know, knock on wood, it's it's coming. Uh, people are coming to their senses. Do you agree? We'll give it about what twenty two days, twenty one days, and yeah, and he gets the spotlight for his pro day, and every yes. and every network carries it live and and sees what he can, you know, sees the physical tools, 
watches him make every throw. Uh, and you'll have uh, C.J. Saunders out there to catch some of those passes, which I think is a little bit of a cool story. Ohio yep. State seems to always have like more cool stuff going on with Pro Day that's that's under the radar than anywhere else. It's it's pretty uncanny um, that that will be a little bit of a subplot to that. But um, like the like the day Troy Smith. The Troy Smith there was throwing balls to the uh, yeah. receivers, and all of a sudden the scouts are talking to Troy Smith again. Yeah, <laughs> it was crazy. That was that was crazy. You know, the the pro day in in 2016, which was just an absolute circus when that crazy class was coming out. Yeah, uh, that one. This is way off track. I'll tell the, this story yeah. another time. But like Cardale, you know, let me follow him around for the entire day for the 26 pro day. So I, you know, instead of the place where we're normally pinned on the side, I was out there on the field, you know, right behind Cardale, you know, for his going through everything at George Whitfield and, and all the pro scouts and, you know, all the guys that we always used to cover and just like talking to them live, like they have millions of dollars on the line where Mike Thomas running his 40 and like him asking me what he ran. And I'm like, well, that scout said this, this, I, I'm like, I think you just made a bunch of money. Like that was one of the coolest things I've covered in a long time, just because yeah. we're normally just in such a bad spot. But anyway, the point is, that day when the spotlight is on Ohio State and it's in the Woody and Justin Fields gets to show what he can do, it's going to go like this. I oh, mean, yeah. Like yeah. Trey Lance and, you know, I, I, that even, stuff is just ridiculous to yeah. me. Even you look at BYU and the level of competition, I, I just don't – I don't understand it. It doesn't matter because at some point in, in what, late April or whenever it is this year, they're going to have to make a decision. And what is a safer bet? Justin Fields is the safer bet. You've seen it at a high level that you talked about right. competition that they've faced. Uh, you know, that would be an insane gamble to be the second or third or fourth general manager and to pass on Justin Fields. I just, yes. I can't see that happening. Well, you know what? We're going to come back and talk about a lot of things next week. Like I, I've already teased though, we're going to talk about Ohio state spring, what, what we see coming down the pike, but we're going to give a little insight on some really like battles within battles that, uh, you know, guys like me and you pay attention. Uh, you know, I'm not bragging. We do pay attention uh, or, you know, have an that's, eye, have our eyes on. That's, that's what they lot. pay us to do. I know, but a lot. Of, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, uh, they, they pay everybody to do that, though, don't they? Anyway, I, I digress. Uh, no, there's some good guys out there. You know that. I mean, but uh, but the bottom line is uh, that, that's what kind of makes or break a football team. You know, uh, yeah. Tommy Togas coming on. He's going to take you know, he's going to step in there and and. Uh, take Hamilton spot, but, uh, you know, who's going to be that other guy, you know, I mean, who's going to, uh, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, last year, yeah. well, it was Haskell Garrett who gets wounded <laughs> before the season starts. Even I don't no one, I don't even coming out of the spring, like, well, there wasn't any spring or two spring practices. We were all wondering who that other defensive tackle was going to be. And it turned out to be Haskell Garrett. So, that's what you have your eye on. Haskell Garrett's back this year. He's now a leader and stuff. And uh, so who are those Who are those guys that we see coming up who could step in and become big-time ballplayers? I mean, difference makers uh, uh, just throughout the team. That's what you and I are going to talk about. Maybe just for the few people to get to see a little bit of it or at least see glimpses of it, who you should have your eyes peeled for when they're out there, right? Yep. But until then, awesome, Ward. Well, Thanks for coming over. Did you want me to tease it? What? That was your provocative question. Did you want me to tease it? No, I didn't want you to tease it. Well, that, that was enough of a tease. I went long. I went, like I said, I went deep on that one again. The rabbit hole, you know, is a never-ending quest for me to find the bottom of. Paid uh, Silver. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's one of them, ladies and gentlemen. All I know is that guy gave me uh, tips on where I could find some hay last uh, spring. 
And I will always be indebted to him for that. I mean, you, go. you talk about a multiplicitous uh, individual, that's Cade Stover. So, yeah, we'll talk about him and a bunch of others. But until then, for Awesome more, this is Tim May. This is the Tim May Podcast. We'll see you next week. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.